Constellation. 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 Welcome to Inner Bloom, a podcast about spirituality and intuitive empowerment, where we help each other evolve and ascend through conscious community. I'm Alexa, a healer who utilizes EFT, also known as tapping, to help you process stuck emotions, release limiting beliefs, and reconnect with your inner child. I'm Ambrosia, a psychic medium and Arcturian channel, here to uplift and inspire you to see that you are capable of more than you know. Together, we empower people to live extraordinary lives. We do want to warn you, if you hang out with us long enough, you'll start to believe in yourself and realize that you're capable of anything. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. show. Hello, hello, and welcome back once again to Inner Bloom. I'm Alexa. I'm Ambrosia. Hello, everybody. And we have a very special guest with us today, meditation teacher and entrepreneur, founder of Yogi Lab and co-founder of Guide Education, Dave Hans Barker. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And if I look like I'm just waking up, it's because I am, because I've just been meditating to one of Ambi's Meeting Your Spirit Guide meditations, and it put me into a deep state of meditation. So I'm still just bringing myself back to that. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. I really love that. And we are just waking up as well. So you're in good company. Because you are in Shanghai, Dave, right? That's right. Isn't a fake skyline behind me. It actually is the nighttime here. It's, well, it's beautiful. It looks like an amazing backdrop. And uh, (laughs) it does. It's like a nice cityscape. Um, Shanghai is kind of like a futuristic Gotham. Ah, that's neat. I like that. I'd moved here when I was 18. I would have loved digging into the city. And I imagine there is a Batman running around somewhere fighting crime out there because that's how it feels when you go into it. It's a massive city. Love it. Love it. Well, yeah, this is definitely the earliest we've ever done a podcast interview. But, you know, we we were talking uh, offline and we were already digging into such a great conversation that it's already it's already worth it to to get up earlier and, and to be here with you. And so we're so excited to have this conversation with you. And, you know, anyone new who comes on the podcast, we really always just love to hear their story and how they came to be doing what they're doing now. So we'd love if you could, you know, tell us a bit about what your journey has been like. Great. Okay. So which facts are you most interested in and which facts do you think your viewers will be most interested in about my life? Well, I think that our, just our community is all people who have in probably in the past few years had a spiritual awakening of some sort and are going through that period where they're wanting to tune more into their intuitive gifts, they're wanting to develop more of a spiritual practice, or they're wanting to come out of the spiritual closet and, you know, and maybe even develop their own spiritual businesses. So I feel like you you cross over into probably many of those things. So anything that feels relevant to, to that would be awesome. Okay, yeah, great. Because there's a lot of different ways I could tell my story. And, you know, you you guys probably asked that question a lot and asked it a lot. And I'm, I'm getting a feel for what the best thing is here then. Well, I think the first thing I'd like to say is then I'm someone who's gone from being a little bit overwhelmed by my experience in spirituality to being able to harness what I've experienced and bring it into the practical sphere. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for me to understand that myself. And also I want to pass that on to other people, but like my partners I work with, we work on that all the time and also our clients and everything, which is that spirituality is really just the extreme end of practicality. Mm-hmm. And we often don't get to touch the magic simply because we don't become practical enough. And the people who get to touch it without practicality, I think are the lucky ones, but then they sometimes don't do the reverse thing, which is integrate it into their practical skill set. And I think that those two things go hand in hand. And that's exactly what happened to me. Like basically I, I grew up in a, in a very poor family in poverty in London. And it was a, a family full of pain as well, abuse. And we were ex-cult members, you know, so there was all this readjusting to the, the regular world again when my mom came out of the cult. She actually escaped with us with her four babies from this cult so that we couldn't have any harm done to us. So a very brave woman. And she worked like four jobs at the same time whilst putting herself through university to make sure that we were all provided for. So I owe a lot of everything I've been through to my mom. And we grew up in an environment of abuse, both physical, mental, emotional, as well as drug addiction, multiple members of my family attempting to commit suicide. Some succeeded. And just that led into drug addiction and other things like this. So I, what I really like to show people is that you don't have to be a Buddha, someone who's born a prince or a princess, to be able to, one, enter into the spiritual world and to be able to have deep experiences that can transform your life, and two, to be able to achieve material success out of that too, if that's important for you. And I think one of the reasons I like to use myself as an example here isn't because I think I'm a good example. It's because I think that I'm a very unlikely candidate for someone to end up where I am. And... I just want to give other people who are in that situation, like if I could speak to myself when I was 13, then that me would probably not believe that I could end up being a multimillionaire with a bunch of businesses around the world, living in you know Shanghai and different places with my own meditation center. And also probably more importantly, that I could let go of all the trauma that I carried from all that stuff we went through when we were younger. And yeah. that I could... Uh, achieve these deep states of meditation that I'd probably only seen back then in something like the X-Men or all the Kung Fu movies I used to watch. So both those things are real and both those things are, are possible. And I guess what I really just am passionate about is bringing that conversation into the practical sphere so that everyday people realize that's accessible for them. It's not just for people who want to dance around with feathers on and throw glitter in the air. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've got a lot of people like that who I love, but also there's a lot of people who aren't part of those spiritual communities and they're just regular people living regular lives. And I'd like them to know that this stuff is real. It's entirely possible and you can achieve it. I love that. I think that's really um, one of the things that I'm figuring out with spirituality and coming into a new version of myself is being grounded in spirituality, which I think is what you're addressing. And it's a really practical, grounded way of having a human experience, but still taking everything that you have, you have learned from spirituality and gained from spirituality and really understanding how to incorporate that into the human experience. Excuse me. My voice is not ready to speak today, apparently. Um, but I, I think one of the things that people say to me a lot is they're surprised how grounded I am. Mm-hmm. I didn't think you would be like this, right? Um, and I think they do have this idea or image or perception of me that I, I have glitter all over me and I'm dancing around and I don't have any problems and like, this is my reality. And in fact, that's not it. 
I'm probably going to get asked today to wipe someone's bottom. So it's very, (laughs) very practical. And I really like the way that you um, bring that into this existence and bring that into your space. So thank you. Yeah, Carl Jung talks about that, doesn't he? About how psychoanalysis means digging in the muck. And the reason no one wants to dig into the shadow is because no one wants to dig into the muck. So to me, I feel like all your real spiritualists, like the ones who started off all of these parts that we're interested in, they're people who are really willing to dig into their own shadows and they had a bit of grit and that's why they could get so far with it. And that's how you turn a peak experience into a transformed lifestyle. Mm. How do you, what, do you have any insight for people who are digging into their shadows there are you know on that journey of or any kind of maybe stories of your own personal experience with that because i feel like lately so shadow work is like the thing it is coming up front and center for for us individually for us collectively it's hard it's really hard to look at your stuff um I know for myself, some days I've been like, I don't know if I'll get through this. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get to tomorrow. And I know that's a very dramatic thought to have, but it feels that way. You're like, I can't see the way forward. Um, And then in this, you know, inevitably something will happen and it'll, you know, you'll have a breakthrough and it'll launch you into this whole new, new layer of yourself. But each time you get to one of those moments again in the future, it still feels that way. It still feels like that for a moment. Like I might die doing this. I might die. I think because like part of you is dying, right? But I'm curious what your insight is on that or if you have any um, words of wisdom for shadow work. It's funny because I was just coaching someone on exactly this right before this call. So it's funny how all these things coincide. And I think is it's easy to remember the difficult, grimy sides of shadow work because that's what everyone faces and everyone's afraid of seeing these pieces of themselves. And I think what I'd love to bring back into it is the playfulness of shadow work is mm-hmm. that Every piece of that darkness that you're reintegrating is another piece of yourself that you have access to. Mm. So, yeah, at first, imagine if you were paraplegic or even you were paralyzed from the neck down and slowly you started to regain access to your little finger or to one of your, your neck muscles here. You better believe that the first thing you're going to feel when it starts to wake up is a lot of pain because you haven't had access mm. to it in a while because it's atrophied. And then when you start to reawaken it and waken it back up, then you're going to have a healthy, fully functioning body. And that's so much better than just being a head with a dead body. So um, I think shadow work's exactly the same. And all right, what I was doing with my client a minute ago was I was comparing channels of shadow work to mudras. And I'm not someone who usually talks about using mudras because I like to teach... I like to teach the free flow exploration of meditation techniques and not guiding someone into specific things that are going to produce specific results. So I want people to be explorers. But with mudras, the basic way I teach them is that as you form a mudra, you're basically allowing the energy to run more clearly through one channel in your body. So you can focus your awareness on that one channel. So that means that instead of just being aware of the totality of what's going on with your body and your mind and your energetic system, for that meditation, you're drilling down on a specific channel so you can gain more clarity in that one place. And so what I'd say with shadow work is there's some techniques you can use to go back and bring out certain aspects of your shadow that are going to illuminate the whole thing and make it a bit more fun as well. And the one I was just working on with my client is one that came to me in a flash 13 years ago. When I, was, um, when I was living like a monk and volunteering, and I was just doing some, some garden work, you know, thistle chipping, like working in the weeds in the garden. One of my good friends, actually, who I started my spiritual journey with, and we were both there just deep in the muck, funnily enough, and we we're talking about shadow work. 
And what came back to me in that moment was all my, all my relationships with every woman in my life, starting with first the romantic sexual relationships, but then just with every significant entrance of the feminine into my world. And I realized what I was seeing was I was seeing my life as a symbolic interaction between the masculine and the feminine. And I was playing the masculine. And then every feminine that came into my life was like a check-in to see what's the communication between my feminine and my masculine like at this point in my life. And so I could see the state of my feminine from the different women and how they were communicating with me. And also the state of my masculine from how he was interacting with the feminine as it entered. Mm-hmm. And then I opened so many doors, right? What needs are being met both by the masculine and the feminine and what are not being met? How is the communication channels? What's being communicated between, between the two? And then it depersonalizes your view of yourself as well, because then you just have a completely different alternative history in an instant. Because it's no longer you walking through this series of events as the main character. You're the whole movie. And suddenly you've got this cast of female characters. You've got this cast of male characters that are interacting with each other. And they're all symbolic representations of the total masculine and feminine. So it just changes the way you do everything. And then what I do is every woman that came into my life, I'd pay attention to them to be like, right, what's the feminine wanting to tell me in this new situation? And it gave me new eyes to be able to look at the world with. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I really love that perspective. I love that idea of you are the whole movie. That It's it's funny, that message came to me, has come to me like three times since I've been up this morning. So it's clearly uh, for me. Um, <laughs> but the idea that like, I, I think um, our friend Brandon Beecham always says like, you're the only one here. You're you're the only one here, right? Like it's it's all just reflections of you. It's all just different versions of you. I've even been talking recently about, I've been receiving this visualization. I know we were talking about visualization before we got on the podcast. I've been receiving this visualization recently about how, um, you know, how it, it said like, we're all source, right? We're all just kind of like droplets of source consciousness in these bodies, walking around in these different avatars and these different personalities, right? I've actually been receiving the inspiration to visualize, like when I'm outside walking and there's all these different people walking around, I actually visualize inside everyone's body. It's kind of like I see this like blue crystal, weird amorphous like liquid. And it's like- From Donnie Darko. Is it? God is guiding Donnie Darko through his channel and he's like, I'm living in the path of God and it's coming out. I never saw it. Oh, you should, you'd love it. You should watch Donnie Darko. But anyway, I won't spoil it anymore. I just wanted to spoil that. <laughs> That's really cool though. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I imagine this like drop, this like kind of in the heart space, it's all the same. Everybody has the same thing inside. And that's what's real. And on the outside, it's just these different little, like on Halloween, like costumes, like we're all kind of like putting on different. And when I have that visualization, it really allows me to let go and release um, a lot of judgment and a lot of kind of, self-criticism and stuff like that because I realize, oh, okay, everybody's the same. And also if I am source and we're all source, then like source can't be, um, like source is having this experience for a reason. Source is not like um, a bad person. Like source is not all these things that like our human mind tells us, right? So it's just, I don't know what led me to share that, but I just, I've been, given that visualization recently, it's really helped me to realize like, it's all us. It's mm-hmm. everything is us. So yeah, Randa, um, used to say that we're all just Krishna and Greg. Yes. 
Yes. Just a god playing a part. And that's why I love all those old Greek stories, you know, where Athena wouldn't just go up and tap Achilles on the shoulder and be like, yo, Achilles, I've got a message to deliver to you from a god. It would say that Athena would take over the body of the ship's captain and walk over and deliver a message to Achilles. So we all had those moments in our lives, like with the masculine feminine thing that I was just talking about, where mm -hmm. someone's coming into your life as an angel, yeah. right? Like, especially if you've been in some dark spaces, then you know, yeah, you know, sometimes God or an angel has walked into your life and lifted you up. And so there are those moments where someone's come in there and delivered you. And I feel like those old Greek stories really captured that and what you're saying very well, which is that there is this divinity acting through us. It's just sometimes it's acting very clearly and sometimes there's a bit of murkiness there between the essence and the embodiment. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That. How do you, what would you say about, I, I'm just like curious on your perspective on all these like spiritual themes because you have such beautiful wisdom coming through you. What would you say about um, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness of others? What's your perspective on that or how to go about that? Because I think that's one of the most challenging things for humans to do ever. 100%. I feel, whew, you know, it's such a heavy subject wanting to let go of it, especially because the thing is, if you are someone who has really suffered at the hands of other people, then it's one of those biggest things that can really hinder you from moving on because you're consistently casting yourself in the role of a victim. Because mm -hmm. the thing is that an oppressor cannot create a victim. A victim can only create themselves. Yeah. An oppressor can do something to someone, but the person has to label themselves as a victim and identify as a victim to be a victim. Mm. otherwise they're just someone that something's happened to right and and they can take ownership and responsibility of it and i know that from both sides because i have labeled myself a victim and lived in the mindset of a victim whilst i was younger and then i've also overcome that and taken responsibility and realized oh no one made me a victim i chose to be one mm. because what's done to you doesn't make you a victim it's what you perceive things as so for me the thing is that I love the topic of forgiveness, but I feel like one of the things that gets in the way of it is that we we attempt to do it at the wrong point. I think a lot of people attempt to do it artificially because they feel like they need to feel this artificially po um, false positive emotion towards people that have done them harm mm, or towards yes. things that have happened or even themselves. And I think the real thing that produces forgiveness is clarity because once you see things accurately, you realize, oh, there's nothing to forgive. You know, this is just, this is the way it happened. These are the laws of the universe. I'm a character in this story. And these are the interaction of forces that led to this event happening, however traumatic that event is. Because I believe that trauma is only produced by intensity that the body and the mind aren't ready to receive. So if we go back to that moment with clarity, then we can go back to the same incidents that created the trauma and unwind it completely. Like, for example, when I was a kid, I used to be fighting all the time, like in these like neighborhoods that we were in, you know, and it was like it was the least of my troubles, to be perfectly honest. So what was going on at home was much worse. And so I'd go out and I'd be one of those kids getting in trouble outside of home because there was trouble in the home as well. And there were some like alleyways I shouldn't have been in or parks at nighttime where other, you know, young idiots like me were outside fighting all the time. And, you know, there'd be fear for me going in those situations. But then a few years later, when I just got completely over that, and I just became much stronger as a human being, I could walk through those exact same pathways with zero fear. Mm. It was zero fear, my head held high, not worried about anything that was going to happen. And I feel like it's exactly the same on a greater scale with our lives. I think we can learn to walk back through the same experiences and the same paths and just carry a certain strength with us and clarity with us. That means that that trauma is erased. 
And then forgiveness is easy. It just, because any hate towards any, anyone else just peels off us. Mm. What about forgiveness for the self? Is there a particular type of instance that you're thinking of that's speaking to you? I guess when we, when, when our actions, yes. When our unconscious actions negatively affect other people, like Mm. meaning, for example, for me, I had my awakening like three years ago, no, probably like four years ago now. And before that, there was a lot of ways in my life I was acting very unconsciously. I'm, I still take responsibility for it, but I was just like, I was really acting out of my trauma and out of my pain. And so now, and I think a lot of people go through this when you have your awakening, you start to see more clearly yourself and your actions and your past and understand it from a different perspective. But there's a lot of guilt that comes with that, I think, because you you're looking at it from such a different lens and realizing, oh my God, that was very selfish or that was very hurtful to that person. Or So it's like, how do you forgive yourself from that? Um, yeah, unconscious actions negatively affecting other people. Great, good example. Um, do you mind if I take a slight sidetrack with this and then come back, mm-hmm. right? This is where I think that the whole thing of bringing the spirituality and the practicality comes together perfectly. Because there's a financial philosopher called Nassim Taleb. I don't know if both of you know him. No. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, Nassim Taleb. And uh, he's quite an arrogant writer, right? You can hear straight away he thinks a lot of himself with his books. But it's funny. He gets in these, like, um, war of words with other philosophers. It's hilarious. It's like um, they're all insulting each other in their books and everything. But he said that something, including a financial system, can only be one of three things. Fragile, robust, and anti-fragile. And so a fragile thing is something that is damaged or suffers from stress, time, pressure. A robust thing is that su- something that survives stress, time, pressure. And anti-fragile, which is a term that he coined, is something that improves from stress, time, pressure. Hmm. And so what I'd say is that what do you think the human soul is? That piece of divinity that you talk about inside of each of us. Is it fragile? Is it robust? Or is it anti-fragile? Hmm. Anti-fragile? Yeah, I would say it, it depends on the person, on the soul. You think so? Okay. I, for, for soul, I would say, personally for me, I would say that's anti-fragile. I would say anything that's fragile or just robust, because robust is static, right? right? It's just like a table in front of me or a rock or something. It can survive me hitting it, but it's not growing or getting better. And the soul is the piece of us that I think takes that experience and transmutes it and learns and grows. And that's the, that's the piece of us that's the Krishna more Krishna, less drag, right? So that's the piece of us that's having this dance together. That even if the three of us are in a really toxic friendship where we're clawing at each other and tearing at each other and hating each other, there's a piece underneath that that's loving that. That's loving that dynamic and that conflict mm-hmm. and thriving on it and feeding on it to learn more and grow more because it's, it's at the stage of development which is like, give me more, give me everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember the point where I got to that in my life where the drag got to that as well as the Krishna. Right, where it's like, I realized that everything that was the worst thing that happened to me ended up being the best thing because it gave me the, the tools for growth. And then even beyond that, I learned that you can even learn to love the pain in the moment. And if you can learn to love the pain in the moment, that means you learn to love every ounce of life. You learn to love the egg that's baked into the cake, not just the sugar, you know, because it's inseparable from the total cake. And so if that is my vision of what humanity is, then how can I be so upset about any of these little knocks that we give each other on our way to growth. 
That's one way I'd look at it. Because I don't think I don't think there's that much damage that's really done, you know, unless unless you're a pedophile and you're abusing children or you're doing something horrible like sacrificing people, drinking blood, all this kind of stuff, which I don't think you're doing, Alexa, are you? <laughs> no, no. No. Yeah. So that's one thing that I'd say that it's like unless it's like that, then it's just it's growing pains. The other side of it is that I'm an imperfect human being and I do imperfect things and I say harsh words or I've even done violence while I was younger and I've physically hurt people. And I, I take decisions, actions every day, maybe financial decisions every day that might have a, a knock on effect of harming someone somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So there are things that I'm doing that are causing damage all the time and I accept it. And I accept it by not thinking that there's this dividing line between me, a good person, and the rest of humanity, all these horrible people that are doing horrible things. Mm. I feel like, as um, Solzhenitsyn said, the line of good and evil divides every human heart, and who wants to cut out a piece of their own heart? And he said that the Gulag Archipelago, wonderful book. And I feel like that no matter how far we go on our journey, we encompass all of that. You know, I don't think that... Donald Trump or Barack Obama or George Bush are responsible for the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think I'm responsible for that because I'm one piece of this total machine and system that has put all of this into motion. And how can I give any more responsibility to any other piece of it than me? So I feel like we're all in this dance together. We're all harming each other. We're all loving each other. And all we can do is be the best version of us that we are. And that is, a, you know, you are a, a, a culture of one. So no one can judge you and how you're doing but you, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like how you put that. I think sometimes it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I just definitely have a, like a, a bit of a codependent um, nature to me that I've, I've always been working on. And I think when you're describing that, I totally resonate with that when it's like, any harm that we're doing is actually like it's it's lessons that we're all learning together, right? Even the person that that the harm is done, you could argue that on some level their soul called that in because they needed to learn something too from being quote harmed in that way, right? Whether it was with words or, or whatever. Um, because I know when I've been harmed in my life, I now look back and go, oh wow, like you said, I really needed that. I really needed that in some way because it helped me grow, right? I'm not saying that like people should call in terribly abusive situations or anything like that, but I do see what you're talking about in that way. I guess for me, why I mentioned the codependent thing is because it's like, I know that I see things that way, but I also know that some people in my life don't see things that way or some people that I will encounter don't see things that way. And so it makes me insecure because I'm like, well, I can have that perspective, but um, if they don't have that perspective, then that's not really a reality for them. And it makes me feel sad that I can't control how other people see and perceive things. You know what I mean? I think, yeah, I think there's two really interesting things there. One is that I agree with you. I'm not trying to say people should abdicate their responsibility. Yeah. I still think it's everyone's responsibility, but it's just only, I think only each of us really knows what our responsibility is and knows what we're accountable for. And mm. slowly we learn that and we grow into that. But if, if someone's done something wrong, if I've done something wrong, I don't think it's not my responsibility. It's just that I think everything's my responsibility anyway. And I also think everything's your responsibility. So it's like, we're kind of all in, all in this together. We've got to figure it out. But the, yeah, the other thing is such an interesting thing because I remember when that was like such a prevalent thing in my life as well. And I realized 
that like I've listened to both of you talk quite a bit, right? So I know that you're both really good talkers too. So I'm sure you can explain your way out of a lot of situations and justify your way out of a lot of different situations. And that becomes such a dangerous skill to have because what you're starting to do there is you're trying to write the narrative of other people's lives. Because not only do you want to get um, get away, not, not only do you want to be able to do what you want to do, you want to say, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And I also want to be the good guy in your story. Mm. And sometimes we're not, you know, yeah. yeah, sometimes we're the hero and sometimes we're the villain in other people's story. And I feel like part of this whole dance is accepting the fact that we can be cast in any of those roles and also realizing it's not our choice. Mm. I remember, I I remember when I was younger. Go sorry. ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. When I was younger and I was like, again, a, a bit more of a rough um, person and a violent person, I got into quite a violent situation with one of my friends and he saw me do something one night that shocked him. And one of my other friends was like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be friends with you anymore. You know, this, that kind of thing. And we were youngsters then and it meant a lot. There was like the brotherhood and the loyalty and everything. But it was a moment that I took a big step up in maturity because I realized that I was like, you know, but that's his choice. Because what he saw me do was a reality. And if he wants to choose after that, that he doesn't want to be around someone like me because of that, that's his choice to be able to decide that. Because I can't say that I'm not that person. I am that person. I did do it. You know, I could explain that my intention wasn't to do something like that, but the result was the same, right? And the reality is there for itself. And so I think it's the same thing. It's like, um, who sung a song about this? Live and let die. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're young, you want to live and let live, but you have to also just live and let die and let maybe your image die in the eyes of other people. Sorry, Ambi, you were about to jump in and say no, something. No, no, I think what you said was was perfect. And I, I'm i really glad that you said it because I think it really emulates what I was going to say, which is that we can, especially now we're so quick to point fingers at this group of people or these types of people that are doing things wrong or not being appropriate. And I feel like it's, it's one, I think it's really... Um, dangerous to categorize groups of people. Two, I also feel like you can't necessarily say that this person is a bad person or a wrong person because they've hurt you in some way. Now, based on something that happened decades ago. Now, can that person continuously hurt you and you say, I choose not to have you in my experience anymore? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's your choice. And that's your um, experience that you want to have in this life. But I also think that it's really important that, like you're saying, we take responsibility for how we allow people to treat us and how we say, I won't tolerate this behavior any longer. And that means that I'm going to distance myself from you in this reality. Right. So I think that when we're talking about toxic relationships or when we're talking about even something like rape, um, that can be so violating and so scary. Um, it's, and it, I'm not in any way saying that the person that is being raped is choosing to have that experience. That's not what I am saying. But what I am saying is the fact that you can say, you know what, I'm choosing to not be a victim and I'm choosing to step up and move into a higher existence and a higher reality and moving into a new area because you can go two very different roads when something very serious like that happens, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important to understand, 
to say not that this person is wrong, this group of people like men, for example, men are wrong, men are bad, that's it. And I think in our society right now, we're very quick to cancel culture and eliminate groups of people like men, for example, because a few men are doing things that are very violating. And I think it's really important to illuminate the idea that that's a dangerous game to play when you're not taking responsibility for your actions and you're also not, um, you're just in that victim mindset. So I just wanted to reiterate that. Yeah, such a big and relevant point from right now, right? And I think there's a very, very big difference between censorship and empowerment. Yes. And one of them is a quick and easy cut to make you feel better in the short term. But what you're basically doing there is you're hiding reality. You're not getting rid of the problem. You're getting rid of your knowledge of the problem. And all that's going to do is increase the problem because what happens when you create an unseen enemy? You give it power, right? And we were talking about the shadow. That's all you're doing. You're increasing the shadow. Whereas empowerment means that, yes, yeah, some people do get violence done to them and it is horrific and it's horrible and it shouldn't happen to anyone. But the solution to it is people being personally empowered so they can stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. And they can, if they want to, they can get retribution, but they can definitely recover from it and grow through that. And so I think that for me, the real solution for all of us in any of this is empowerment and developing the right tools to lead people towards empowerment, as opposed to just censoring what's being exposed. Because then all you're doing is anyone who does have these tendencies is just going to hide them, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to hide them and they're going to become um, they're going to become psychopathic or sociopathic. And those traits are going to come out in other ways. And maybe they're going to get even better at being able to be that type of person. And then... Mm-hmm also going to, like you said, cancel people that shouldn't be getting canceled anyway, and the people who could be rehabilitated. And then the real villains, they're going to learn to be able to hide what they do and do it in a more subtle way. And I think the big thing to remember here is that that's the whole point of this reality is to have that contrast, to have the, the good and the bad, right? The positive and the negative. And so to have a society that eliminates that is unrealistic because that's the whole reason we're here is to experience the contrast. So the reason that I'm saying this is because I saw this today on Facebook. Someone was like, F all men. And I was like, that's really like, I understand their pain. I get it. I get it. But it just kind of, you know, I have two sons. And I have a husband. And so I have people very close to me that are men that I care about very much. Does that mean that they're bad? So I think that it's really important to kind of look at this from all perspectives when we're talking about the shadow side, when we're talking about being a victim, when we're talking about being the perpetrator. Because I know we've talked about this on other episodes that we've all been the perpetrator, we've all been the victim. And it's really important to take responsibility in that instead of saying men or this group of people should no longer exist. That's really irresponsible in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. Like, and it's like, I've got sisters and I spent a lot of my childhood wanting to protect my sisters because obviously they were in the same rough neighborhood I was in, right? And so we all know how that goes. But I've I've also got a bunch of friends who are dudes and I've played sports and I've been in locker rooms. So I know the locker room talk and I know the dude's mentality and I know what it's like to want to defend and protect your sisters and make sure they're safe in the world as well. So it's like those two things can coexist. They don't have to be polar opposites that are fighting against each other. And I feel like what you were saying there is exactly what I meant about the anti-fragility thing. 
yeah. is that do we want to create a world where only the fragile is allowed and can survive? Or do we want to get people to the point where they're anti-fragile so that they can broaden the spectrum of what they can enjoy? Because yeah. you know, I've, I've been fragile as well. I've been a victim. And so when I was younger, I couldn't hear someone saying a bad joke about me. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be like, that's why I'd be getting in so many fights when I was younger. And I blame it on everyone else. Like, oh, like, like everyone always wants to fight me or this, that when I was a teenager. Yeah. But it's like, no, it's because I had a fragile ego and someone could crack it in an instant mm-hmm. by saying an insult about my mom or about this or about that. You know how teenage boys are. Well, I'm, you're, you're going to find out, I'm sure, pretty soon. <laughs> but then later, that, that course kind of joking and banter is something that I'd enjoy and I'd love. And I'd uh, be involved in it with uh, a bunch of my friends. And it's part of the, the trash talk you get involved in when you play sports. Yeah. So something that once was seen by me as like a negative and an attack and a tragedy later became something that I enjoyed. And so mm-hmm. I feel like the more that we broaden our spectrum like that, a lot of these things, we as we become stronger, tougher, bigger people, we can enjoy more of this and we, we feel less threatened by any of it. I agree with you 100%. I think that that's a really good, I like the way that um, the imagery that comes up when you speak. So thank you. Very good at that. My pleasure. Have you two heard of the thing called the geological revolution? No. Tell us. I'm excited about it. I will. I'm just stealing from someone else here. One of my favorite um, dead Russian authors, Dostoevsky, he had a a drunken character in a book called The Brothers Karamazov. And he's like the intellectual of the brothers in the title. And he comes home one night and he has a conversation with the devil. And the devil's making fun of him about an idealistic idea he had when he was younger. And it's called the geological revolution, which is that even the rocks go through a positive form of evolution. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that it all happens in the same way. The same way a person goes through an internal revolution and we grow on a certain pattern, like the hero's journey, like these different things that we go through and eventually coming into spirituality and realization, the rocks go through the same thing, like the world goes through the same thing. It's just a matter of scale. And so I feel like if the world is growing up right now, it's at the point where it's in that self-righteous witch hunt. Mm, And I don't know about you two, but I can remember when I was like that. When I realized I was a bad guy and I realized, oh, I need to do something about this, you know, and I, and then I was so highly critical of myself and shameful and guilty, like you're talking about Alexa, that I completely went over the top berating myself about it. You know, the scale of how much guilt and shame I felt was way disproportionate to what I'd actually done when I was younger, which was really just scrapping a lot as a kid, you know, and doing a lot of like silly things like that. So... So I feel like you have to go through that phase of becoming hyper aware of everything you are and being hypercritical of what you are until eventually you get to the second strength, which is acceptance. And I feel like if we're going to believe in Dostoevsky's character's idealistic vision, then hopefully the world is going to grow through that idealistic witch hunt and get to the juicy acceptance. Mm. I love that. (sighs) Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about on this podcast how... It definitely, we, we both kind of get these visions of like this kind of golden age future that's coming, right? 
And it doesn't yeah. mean that everything's perfect or anything like that. We're on Earth. Nothing will ever be perfect. That's the whole point of being here. Um, but it does mean a shift in the way we are, the way life is, the way the norms, you know. And I've definitely felt it. it it's so interesting because it's like when people ask me these days, how are, how are you? I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't know how to answer you accurately because part of me wants to go, I'm great. Like just, you know, the standard answer. And then I feel inauthentic because I'm like, well, actually, um, earlier today I wanted to die. <laughs> A couple hours ago, I felt blissed out. Like I'm going on this emotional roller coaster, but it's every single day. And I have appreciation for it because I think like you're saying, I'm in that phase right now where I'm becoming very hyper aware of all of these things from my past, all of these things within my body. Um, and it's very overwhelming, but it feels like it's happening on like hyperspeed, you know? It's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta speed this uh, whole thing up because we gotta get from point A to point B by basically a certain time. We gotta be there by next year. So we gotta like speed this whole thing up. And it is overwhelming. And at the same time, it's like, I feel like I experienced my greatest depths of despair and my greatest highs of joy all at the same time. So I don't even know how to tell someone how I'm doing. Like, I, I don't because I just, I, I feel like it's all, and I don't even know, actually, I don't even know where I'm going with this other than to say, I feel like we're at an accelerated kind of processing rate in order to get to that next space that we're talking about or that next level of um, what it is like being a human and being able to accept and embrace ourselves. At least you are. At least I am. Yeah, I so guess. We'll catch up. But I, I think you expressed it very well. And like to go back to Dostoevsky, his favorite compliment that he paid to one of his characters would be that they were someone who felt the full range of emotions. Mm. And I think what happens is that we go from being the type of person and hopefully the type of society that can just enjoy the candy floss of emotions to being able to enjoy everything. And I think that that's where it changes is that before we, when we're like emotionally immature, we're all emotional sugar addicts, right? And we're just gravitating towards the sweetest of the sweet and those bliss moments and those high moments. Because I think what starts to happen as we start to broaden the channel is we realize, no, you know what? I can enjoy despair. Like I was depressed when I was younger and suffered from it because I was depressed, depressed, and I couldn't enjoy my depression. It was something that ate up at me. And the only thing that probably kept me alive was that I was not going to be the next member of my family to commit suicide because I mm. saw the pain it caused other members of my family. And I was like, no, that's an irresponsible decision. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cause pain to my mother and make her think she's failed us if she sees one of her children die, right? So, so that's one of the things that kept me alive. And I was really suffering when I was younger through it. But then since that, as I've grown up, I felt depression at points and I've been able to enjoy it. Because all it is, is it's the counterbalance of all the other emotions. You know, it's your, your, your manic depressive cycle can be something that's beautiful because on your lows, you get reflective and you mine for gold. And on your highs, you're flying and exuberant. Mm -hmm. And so it stops being a negative thing being low and it stops being a purely positive thing being high. They're both just different variants of being able to completely integrate the human experience. And I feel like that's what it sounds like you're, you're going through is you have to broaden the channel to be able to accept the flow of information and energy that comes through it. And then once you do broaden it, it's like 
this amount of energy would fry a system that's this narrow, right? Mm. But then this amount of energy is going to run through smoothly through a system that's this wide. Mm. And so I think it's just that. We just need to broaden our scope of the range of emotions we can feel. It's mm. a good point. I, I also feel like with that, it's something that I've noticed is that um, – and it's probably one of the reasons that a lot of people will never really do shadow work. Like, I think, I mean, I think a lot of people really will never kind of go into the darkness of themselves. It sounds scary, right? Shadow work. Yeah, shadow work. Because it is, well, it, it can be really, <laughs> yeah, it can be really scary. I, I mean, obviously, there's more people doing stuff like this now than uh, before. But, but I really think that the majority of people probably won't go there because it makes you feel more good and bad. You feel higher highs, but you also feel lower lows. And what you're describing is that actually that's okay. Like that's, that's, Ambie talks about it a lot and she's really helped me understand this, that like that's, this is, that's part of life. That's the joy of life to actually um, experience the highs and the lows. And we're not supposed to be happy every single moment. We're supposed to feel, it's a gift to feel the gamut of emotions, but we're living in a society that has normalized numbing your emotions and has normalized, um, yeah, running away from them in some way, whether you're eating or you're drinking or you're gossiping or whatever it is that you're using as a tactic to get away from how you feel. Um, and so it's really scary for people coming out of this society or we're still in it, but, you know, shifting the way we are within it to then feel more because we're actually having to feel all that's already been there, but we've gotten really good at muting. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's definitely a reprogramming of the belief that it's actually okay to feel whatever we're feeling and that nothing's gone wrong if we're feeling a, quote, negative emotion, it's actually a gift that we have as humans. That's what our bodies are for. And also, I think that the there's a cycle that it might start negative, but it ends up being positive. And I think that's the difficult thing to understand when you're in the negative. And you, you put that so well, by the way. Like, I remember when I was really in that and I was taken back to it you talking about that. I, I really came face to face to that when I was 18. And I remember I wrote something on my wall that was like my mantra to get me through, which was to love the pain. And it's exactly what we're talking about here, because if I only love the candy floss, you know, the pure bliss, the, oh, I just fell in love, you know, when I'm 18, a feeling of emotion like that, and I can walk out my door seeing rainbows and everything. That's what, like maybe 5%, 10% of life, if you're really lucky, like that there. And then you've got pretty good stuff, you know, fun with your friends and all stuff that you enjoy and focusing on. But let's say, even if you're lucky, at least 50% of it is going to be mundane or painful, yeah. you know, like swinging towards the negative, like basic stuff there. And if you're less lucky than that, then it's going to be a lot bigger than that. So I felt like, how am I going to go around not enjoying like 50 to 75% of my life if I can only really enjoy the candy floss? Mm. So I thought that there's two options here, right? Either I gravitate towards the sugar, I gravitate towards all the light emotions and just try to make my life out of all of those, which as we know is impossible and is ridiculous and creates people who have completely deleted total areas of their lives. Or the other answer, you've got to love everything. You've got to learn to be able to savor all the emotions. And I think that's really just what anyone who grows up really goes through. They realize that it's not, I don't need to be happy to be good. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to be full of joy to be good. I can be 
um, I can be in all the other states of emotion and feel good. And actually, I think a lot of people feel this all the time without realizing they've even integrated the skill. When you're in the gym, you're feeling pain, right? When you go to a jog, it's like controlled doses of pain. But that's what produces a healthy organism, that hormesis, those slow, small doses of pain that make you stronger. And I feel like we're all doing it all the time. It's just that we're not doing it at rest. We're only doing it when we're actively applying it. You know what? It's really interesting, this question. So uh, um, I've been in Clubhouse more more times than I care to admit at this point. (laughs) And I was in Clubhouse yesterday and the subject was, how do you pull yourself out of negativity when you're in that spiral? And it was interesting because I was going for a jog at the same time. This was, I was in the clubhouse room and that morning was a really bad morning. My kids were yelling at me. Um, I don't like being woken up, like smacking my face. And that's how I was woken up. And yeah, who does? And um, so my kids were just yelling at me and not listening. And and, um, I was thinking, okay, what brought me out of that mood? And that day I decided... I'm going to go to Starbucks and I'm going to get my favorite coffee because that's going to make me feel just a little bit better. And when I got to Starbucks, it's a simple coffee. It's literally cold brew and cream. And she said, how many pumps do you want? And I was like, I don't, I don't understand the question because I don't know how to make this drink. Just the normal amount of pumps. And she goes, would you like the cream on the top or the bottom? And I was like, is this a practical joke? What is happening right now? I just want it the normal way that you make it. And she goes, okay, would you like foam on the top? And I was like, Jesus, oh my God, just, just make it normal. And so I get there, (laughs) I get there and it's wrong. And I'm like, I quit, I'm done. And so I go home and I'm, I'm not pouting. I'm thinking more of like, this is ridiculous. And my husband goes, why didn't you say, I'm ambrosia, go get someone that knows me. And I started laughing because it was so ridiculous, like the way he said it. And I thought sometimes to get you out of those moments of just, I'm really sad and I'm having a bad day, you need someone else to see, to show you how ridiculous the situation is Mm -hmm. and how the situation is actually really funny if you just look at it in a different perspective. And so that kind of took me out of the situation of, you know, yeah, my kids are being a pain right now, but I have kids and there are lots of people right now that have lost children that I would give anything to have an argument with their child again. And so it's about that perspective shift. So then I decided to go for a run. I felt a lot better, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the, the moments of, of little annoyances can build up and turn into I'm having a bad day or my day's really silly and ridiculous. And I'm very lucky that it's a silly, ridiculous day and then move into a different situation. Yeah, great example. And I think that's one of the the big differences between people who get stuck in depression and don't is the ones that don't are ones who can see options. And the ones who do is they can only see one way. They only get stuck. They only... There's only one response to someone getting a drink wrong at Starbucks, and that's picking up a table and smashing it on the counter, as we all know, right? (laughs) The person who can get out of it can see, oh, no, no, there's actually multiple responses to this. You know, I can joke with them. I can look around. I can try a different drink. You know, I can whatever. Like, it's there's multiple different things that can be done in that situation, whereas it's Mm -hmm. so easy to just get 
focused on our emotional track. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Like and that doesn't mean that it's uh, toxic positivity. I have something in my eye. Or that it's, um, you know, I'm not paying attention to the the negative aspects of my life, but it's also I am really enjoying my life where mm-hmm. other people don't have that that they're not looking at it in that option, right? Maybe they're paralyzed in a hospital or maybe they're away from their loved ones. So that's it's, just my perspective. It's kind of like the, well, I was just going to add on to what you're saying. It's kind of like the, um, I've heard this quote before, like someone else would kill for your problems. <laughs> someone right. else would kill for them. And I've been reminded of that a lot recently. I like was just mess. Um, I was just messaging a friend I haven't talked to in a while. And um, she's like, Oh my God. Yeah. I've been going like, she's been going through some serious stuff. Like I thought I was going through some stuff with my body recently. She's been going through some stuff with her body, like some serious stuff. And I, it was this immediate moment of gratitude for my problems and for where I am. And, and not to say that she's in a worse spot. It's just that like, sometimes again, going back to your example, Ambie, about like the, the coffee, it's like, from your perspective in that moment, if you let it, it's the biggest deal in the world and it's so annoying and you want to kill everyone. But if you zoom out and you think of what other people are experiencing, you realize, oh, I'm so grateful for this problem. And this is, this is funny. Like this is like, this is, this is actually, um, you know, this is adding flavor to my day. Right. And and so, yeah, I, I think it's really important to be reminded of that uh, more often. And I do think that's why it's important to be present in your life, to be able to receive those reminders from other people in your life and from the experiences to, to be reminded of how grateful, you know, you should be to be living the life that you are and how customized your life is for you to learn what you came here to learn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to disagree with you ladies there just to produce oh, okay. a bit. Policy, and I'll tell you why. Because what if Ambi stuck in that situation right there realizes, yeah, I've got beautiful kids, I've got a wonderful husband who's going to cheer me up once I get home from all of this. You know, some um, children in Guatemala right now would be killing to be able to have um, the cream at the bottom of their cold brew, right? And, <laughs> like, she realizes all of that. Yeah. But she still feels like picking up the table and smashing it on the counter. Mm-hmm. She still feels terrible. She still feels frustrated. She still feels mm-hmm. the snap of her kid waking her up in the morning. And even though she realizes, oh, I shouldn't be feeling bad, I do feel bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that person, like you two might be able to switch it around like that like quickly, whereas I know some people can't. And yeah. I think that, was it Lichtenstein who said that other people have wor- other people have worse problems is a shelter to rest under in the case of rain, but it's not somewhere you can live. Mm. So like you can use that once or twice, you know, oh, the kids in Ethiopia, the kids in Guatemala, the kids in Bangladesh, but you can't live like that your whole life. It's not somewhere you can live because you're living with your emotions. And so for me, for me, what really changed it, for me, what the lifesaver was, was being able to find the concrete place that the emotions were affecting me. It's like, I think I'm upset because I got slapped awake. Actually, that's a pretty valid reason, but like, I think I'm upset upset because I got given the wrong coffee and this person is new at their job and doesn't know what they're doing. But actually I'm upset because I'm feeling a tightness in my throat and it's making me feel constricted because I get stressed when I'm in a bad mood and I don't get what I want. Yeah. And so it produces this restriction in my throat. And so if I um, find the place where I'm actually feeling uncomfortable, I realize, oh, whatever has happened in my day is just the delivery mechanism for me to produce this sensation inside. 
And then if I can find that sensation inside and feel it and not react to it, then it means I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And even if I am reacting to it, at least then I realize, oh, what I'm reacting to is just an internal sensation. It's not actually the, the environment or the world. And so I feel like one of the things that leads towards that empowerment and away from the censorship that we were talking about and needing to do that is people actually having the right tools. And I feel like that's one of the things that we're starting to do now with our generation. You know, the generation above us, they kind of didn't really give us those tools. And now we're starting to dig into them ourselves. And I think what I'm passionate about is just finding those real tools that you can give people. And to me, that's one that just changed my life. It's like then, you know, every now and then I still do think about the kids in Bangladesh and remember how lucky my life is. But I don't really need to resort to it anymore because I can feel... I can feel the sensations in my body and then not react to them. And it leads us towards that state that you were talking about, Alexa, where we start to be able to engage with all the emotions and go through all of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. And if I'm going to say like thinking now, it was probably the control aspect of my morning. I didn't have control or I felt out of control. And so it put me into a uh, downward spiral of I have no control. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was reflected in the Starbucks, like very basic order not like the person way over analyzing what was happening. Right. Um, but it's a beautiful reflection and it's interesting that I decided to go for a run because that's one thing I can control. I can control how my body works. I can control how fast I or slow I'm going. Um, and so definitely looking at it from that perspective on what I was trying to achieve or what I felt was lacking, it would definitely be control. So thank you for that reflection. I think that was Beautiful. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks Bye. for just disagreeing too. Because um, <laughs> first of all, I just really find it refreshing when people disagree and like offer a different perspective. Because I feel like in this community, especially, we're all like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like we all just glom onto each other's stuff because we want to be agreeable. Um, I agree, Alexa. Totally. Agree. Thanks. Not moving along in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but but also, I mean, it makes perfect sense because I'm an EFT practitioner and one of the main things we do with EFT or tapping is it's it's all about like validating your emotions, no matter if they're ridiculous or not. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what else is going on. It matters what you're feeling in this moment and and, and telling yourself that it's okay to feel that. And so comparing yourself to the starving children in Ethiopia or whatever is is really a way of denying how you feel and that your feelings are valid, even if it's that you're really pissed over a Starbucks cup, you know? Um, so yeah, thanks for, for pointing that out. Um, and honestly, I can't believe how much time has gone by. I, I don't know what your, your time limit is, but, um, we usually go an hour and we have not even talked about your, we, we don't want to leave without you sharing about like what you're working on now, how people can interact with you and what you're doing. And you're obviously just such an insightful, beautiful person. I know people are going to want to connect with you. So it's great to have the conversation guys, buy all my stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, on the, on the disagreement thing, like, I love it because I don't think, like, this is something we were talking about before, and you're probably going to find out this a lot in the future, Ambi, with your sons, because I think it's a bigger problem with boys than it is with girls, which is that we're so afraid of being wrong. And I think that ties together the shadow work thing, is that I think the addiction to not wanting to do the shadow work and to wanting to stay in the, the fluffy idea of our personality is that we don't want to be wrong. You know, we, we don't actually see a piece of ourselves that we didn't think was us and to be proved wrong and all of that. And I think that's the agreement thing too. 
Like how stupid are we to want to agree all the time in a conversation? When I can intelligently disagree with another person, it means I can see a perspective that I didn't know about before and they get to show me something new. Mm, and yeah. one of my best friends was made, a lot of my best friends are made like that actually when you start to have a conversation with someone, but there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular. And initially we just disagreed about a point, but we can intelligently discuss the disagreement yeah. without developing any animosity at all. We thought that was wonderful. Mm. Yeah, so if you like any of that, you know, buy my $20,000 meditation course, Meditation Daily. <laughs> no, um, I haven't got anything to sell anyway. Like, but I'm just, we're, we're giving away uh, free meditation courses if people want to do meditation okay. for free. Nice. Yeah. Like at the moment, like we've got other products people can pay for if they want, but the, the free one is the one that changed my life because it's the, the Vipassana technique that I was talking about. And I felt like it's the thing that I would want to give to my 14-year-old self. So I wanted to make that available to everyone. And I made it specifically for like full-time workers and mothers as well, because my sisters have bunches of kids and so does my brother too. So I didn't want them to have any barrier to entry to do the meditation course because it's a 10 day meditation course. And that, and my sister wanted to do it for years, but she's got a couple of kids and she was like, I can't take the time out. So we made a schedule where mothers, fathers, full-time workers can do their meditation in the morning, in the evening and still do a full-time job or look after kids in between. That's awesome. It's beautiful. Are you the oldest child? No, I'm the third child. You're the third child. Out of how many? Um, Four on my mom's side and seven on my dad's. Wow. So the third out of 11, technically? Yeah, but I I was raised with my mom's side. So they're like my my real family that I grew up with. Yeah. But it was just that we had a lot of trouble. So at a certain point someone needed to step up and start to take responsibility for the family. And that was more me than it was my older siblings. Now they're doing great and they're wonderful. But back then, maybe that's why I became a little bit more like the older child. Yeah, it's that older child energy of like wanting to take care of everybody and protect everybody and make sure that everybody is okay. I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I love it. So I was just curious. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, I was a dribbling idiot before I found Vipassana. So if you guys want <laughs> old child energy, go to VipassanaOnline.com, do my free Perfect. stuff. VipassanaOnline.com. Okay, we will put that in the show notes so people can check it out. And we'll also put, do you have? A, a, do you want people to follow you on Instagram? Like how can people connect with you if they, you know, like what you said and want to talk to you? Yeah, sure. At Meditation Dave. And forgive me if I take ages responding to anything i'm in shanghai so technically speaking we're not meant to be using instagram but yeah really yeah because you know like there's the there's something you can use here you can't use facebook google and instagram and all that stuff but every now and then you can slip through and put a post up nice wow that's crazy okay cool 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 well dave this is pleasure talking to both of you by the way i'm going to say I don't want it to end. It's been ours. It's, yeah. been, <laughs> it's been amazing. You'll have to come back on sometime. Um, and uh, and thank you so much for everything. Is there anything else you feel inspired to share before we sign off? Well, it's not going to end for me because I'm just going to do that Find Your Spirit Guides meditation straight after this on YouTube because that just put me into such a deep space. So as soon as we're off, I'm going to do that and I'm going to meditate and go to bed. You're sweet. What a Thank beautiful you. plug. Yeah, check out Ambie's uh, Meet Your Spirit Guide meditation. I think it's on Is it? It's on our YouTube, Inner Bloom, mm-hmm. right? Inner Bloom, yeah. When I searched you guys on YouTube, it was one of the first things that came up. It's awesome. great. Exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for being here. And uh, thank you, everyone who is tuning in right now. We love you all so much. And until next time, keep on blooming. Bye, everybody. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love, love, love it if you would give us a rating and review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to get in touch for a reading with Ambi, an EFT session with Alexa, or just to say what up, we would love to hear from each and every one of you. And you can email us at innerbloompodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at innerbloompodcast. Until next time, remember, open your heart to the seeds of love and light and bloom from within. 